Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The college basketball season is back in full swing. And while you might not be at the game this year, you can certainly still be in on the action at Bet Online. I know I had the Spiders last night over Northern Iowa, minus 9.5. Then they were down at halftime. I went on Bet Online. I got a minus 4.5 live. Hit on both of them. 10 points, Spider win. Easy money. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to episode 25 of the Spider Scoop podcast. As always, I'm your host, Noah Goldberg with ESPN Richmond. I'm joined by my co-host. He's a struggling Charlotte Hornets fan. And more importantly, writes about the Spiders for A10 Talk, and that's Austin Daisy. And as we've said, our new addition, co-host number three this year. He is the leading three-point shooter in the A10 a season ago. He has scored over 1,000 points in his career with the Richmond Spiders, and that's Nick Sherrod. And today, we've got a really special guest on. He covers college basketball, the NBA, entertainment, and just about everything for Barstool Sports, and that's Barstool Reeks. Reeks, what's going on, my man? Thanks for joining today. No problem, man. Happy to have – thanks for having me on. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, what's, what's it been like covering uh, college basketball this year as a, uh, a national guy doing every team? It must be absolute mayhem. It is. Like, in a weird way, there's almost more content. Like, obviously, like, what we do at Barstool, we're not the traditional – like, I'm not the traditional – even though I graduated with a journalism degree and have done that life, mm. we don't do like the traditional, hey, let me call, you know, let me call Nick Sherrod and get a quote and write a story about, you know, uh, you know, Nick's recovery or something like that. You know, we're covering the viral stuff, things that are going on. And from that side, there's been almost more content than ever with like the scheduling quirks. I mean, look at Stanford. I wrote that blog today um, that Brendan Marks had at The Athletic where the quote was, you know, they found out mid-flight that they weren't allowed to play on campus in Santa, you know, with the Santa Clara County uh, COVID uh, restrictions. And then they end up booking North Carolina A&T because of an announcer. Like, we don't get that any other year. I'm, I absolutely love this year. I love that we're getting mayhem across the board. I love that we're getting weird matchups. Like, when would North Carolina A&T ever host Stanford? I know there's no crowd, so it's not the same, but the fact that North Carolina A&T is even hosting Stanford, we don't like that doesn't happen. You know, when do you get look at the big picture? When do you get big time matchups, right? Like you get the champions classic, you get Mal, you get all that stuff. We're seeing games happen like Louisville Seton Hall at the drop of a hat because, or, you know, this week, Wisconsin, Rhode Island, 
you know, Rhode Island, a decent A-10 program, Wisconsin, top 10 team. Hey, we need, we need to play somebody. Rhode Island calls them up and gets out there. So from that side, there's actually like, it's been easy to cover the sport because of like the moving parts. There's always a story that's kind of been told and, you know, we try to find the, the unique ones and put a spin on it and, and, you know, find what maybe other people aren't looking for. So from that, like, I mean, outside of like, it, it's a weird year, but it also hasn't been weird. Like watching the games has not been weird. Sometimes, yeah, like a camera in or, you know, Rupp in against Richmond or when typically there's a, you know, if there's a run, that's when Rupp gets loud and, and Cameron, you know, is always loud. It's been weird from that side, but just watching the games, and I think it goes back to like the NBA bubble. When you just watch the games, you kind of forget about everything else. If you're just focusing on, um, all right, they're not, you know, they're they're hedging on the ball screen. They're playing drop coverage when they should be playing up, whatever. So I don't know. It's been I've kind of enjoyed it. Plus, there's been more daytime basketball, and I when I take over college basketball, like there will be daytime basketball. <laughs> So one thing I do want to get to is because, like you said, we're obviously going to dive into a lot of the stuff you just brought up. But first, like you mentioned, right, you work for Barstool. You're not the traditional mm-hmm. media company. You're not doing those types of stories. Um, I know I think you joined full time a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. leaving leaving the office job for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So what and you said you studied uh, you went to UK, right? You studied yeah, journalism. Yeah. So was your original plan, whether it was out of college or, or maybe earlier in life to go into a traditional journalism role? Like how did your kind of career developed to end up being the the blogger that you are at Barstool? So it actually started back in high school. Um, I, I played basketball my entire life. I didn't really break out from a recruiting standpoint until summer going into my senior year of high school. You know, I was an undersized guard. Uh, I had a really good summer camp at uh, Reeboks Invitational. And then my team made a run to the state title game. So like, I didn't get I had one offer from a division one program that wasn't even a preferred walk on. It was a small school in the North. And I was like, listen, I am from Pennsylvania. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to small school. I'm not, I'm not doing winter. I don't want snow all the time. So it was like, do I want to go to a small school and play and mostly stay somewhere in the state or maybe in like the tri-state of Pennsylvania, or do I want to go somewhere big? And I knew I wanted to do either journalism or coaching. Like that's all I, wanted to do you know I knew from a early point in life that professional basketball player was out of the question so it was either okay coaching or or journalism and I got into it with I had one of our the guys that covered me playing basketball um for our local ESPN station radio station found out through a mutual friend that I was interested in it reached out to me kind of had me shadow him had me call some games um in the off season kind of made my way through that. And then I toured Kentucky going into senior year and it was a perfect July day. It was me and my dad on the tour. I swear to you, they had the most gorgeous girls to tour guide. And I looked at my dad and I was like, I'm going here like on the spot. Um, and I did like, I really decisioned, I, you know, cause I was like, well, listen, if I'm not going to play basketball, I'll go to a, a school that's awesome. And, Unfortunately, I was there for the last two years at Tubby and the two years at Gillespie. So it wasn't exactly like I was watching great basketball. But uh, I mean, like, so that's how I kind of got into it. And, you know, I I knew I wanted to major in journalism at that point. They're an accredited journalism program, great student paper. So I, you know, went through the student paper route and then, uh, you know, started life from there. So it's it's something that I knew I wanted to do. It's in some fashion at some point, you know, early on in life. But um, obviously, 
the world has shifted away from like traditional journalism. Like there's when I, so I graduated in May 09, which outside of like people graduating now was one of the worst times to graduate. There were no jobs. And especially and that's when journalism kind of shifted. So I just kind of had to adapt and, you know, the rise of blogs kind of happened and I just started writing wherever I could in, in a blog setting. And, you know, what I think makes Barstool fit for me specifically is we're allowed to, we're allowed to talk how we talk. Like I am, I don't like writing polished AP style journals. I like, you know, I, I don't speak correctly. I speak very incorrectly all the time. And that's how, like, we can write that and get our point across. You know, I swear when I, when I talk, we're allowed to custom blogs and it really like lets your personality play, which I think resonates more because like, you don't, I, I, I'll, I'll argue this on blue in the face. And I always have, why do people care about like unbiased journalism and sports, right? Like you guys are, are Richmond fans. You should be, Richmond fans like you can still say the truth and be a fan and that's what we kind of do like yeah I hate Duke I hate Carolina I've hated Duke and Carolina my entire life because my old man went to Wake Forest like that that was I was born into that so I can sit here and say like yeah like a couple years ago Carolina's really good but I also hate everything they do and they got away with uh NCAA sanctions because of a loophole like it's all truths and it's still being a fan so that's the one thing I love about like the rise of our school, especially in the rise of blogs is getting away. Like, I, I just think it makes everyone more natural. Like you don't need the game recap anymore, right? Like everyone has Twitter. Everyone watches the game. Everyone has DVR. Everyone has access to any website to go on and look at box scores and everything. So, you know, my advice, if, if anyone's listening for advice, like find somewhere where you can actually just be you. Cause that, that's how you end up growing more. And, and yeah, like you'll turn people off. Like when people found out I was a Kentucky fan, like immediately people started hating me. And I'm like, you know what? That comes with the territory and I'm completely cool with it. So that's, it, it's been fun in that sense because I get like, again, I'm talking college basketball and it's Kentucky. It's, it's kind of fun to be able to be a fan of the school that I went to a team that I'm a diehard fan of and work about it professionally. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. Like I've like, I'm a student at the university of Richmond. It's like, right. yeah, I work for ESPN Richmond, but like, no, like no shit. I'm going to root for Richmond. Like, and I'm not right. going to hate going VCU. Here. Like you should hate yeah. VCU and you can be able to talk about hating VCU. Yeah. And like, to me, it'd be unnatural if you were like, no, nah, like VCU is okay. Like, no, like hate VCU. You should be allowed to. Yeah, exactly. And like, that makes, like you said, it makes the most relatable content. And it also doesn't mean they're not accurate takes, right? Like, awesome. Yeah, it's like, as long as you're this. accurate, right? Like, yeah, as long as you're accurate, you can't sit there and be like, like, listen, like, I hate Chichetsky. I think he is a weasel. But I can also sit there and be like, he's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. Mm. Like, it's kind of how it is, but I can also hate everything he says. Yeah. So as long as you're not, like, spreading true lies and, like, whatnot, like, I can't sit here and look look people dead in the face and be like, yeah, Chichetsky's a bad coach. Like, I, no, but you can you can have fun with it. So mm. yeah, like I agree. Like you're you're soon at Richmond. You're a Richmond fan. Be one while still giving takes. Like that's that's the beauty of I think the way this world's going to in 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 our you know our world of journalism or whatever. So from that, it's been awesome because you know this year especially. I mean, I don't I don't love it this year with the start Kentucky's had, but you know from a, a national landscape with Kentucky down, Duke down at the moment. Um, you know Kansas like. Yeah, they beat Creighton, but I don't know if they looked the part of a top 10 team or a typical Kansas team, at least a weird top five. When you look at, you know, Baylor, they're not, I mean, yeah, last year they're there, but 
uh, non-traditional powers, you know, Baylor. Yeah. Gonzaga's awesome. They're, they're to me a blue blood program. Um, Creighton, I think Creighton's a top 10 team. Like they're a new blood type program. So uh, this year, more than any other, like it's been fun just being able to be a fan because it's, everything's off the damn rails. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you, and you touched on, you know, ragging on coach K there. So I, I want to get to that. Me and Nick, actually, we put out, uh, this last night, our, our recap of Richmond's game against Northern Iowa. And that one thing we got to was the, the coach K everyone obviously heard after Illinois Kim's, you know, talk, they lose by 10 at home, second non-conference yep. Cameron loss. And of course, like, and, and I think coach K, like what everyone says, right. is like the points he made are like fairly valid. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think they should shut down college basketball, but to say like, right. There needs to be more centralized leadership and what, like, that's a fair point, but I would love to hear yeah. your take. Like you can't say that right after that game like if you really believe that why weren't you saying that two days ago if you really believe that you can't be the guy leading the charge of every team should be in the NCAA tournament and the fact that like he has quotes sitting there being like don't worry we're having an, we're having an NCAA tournament because we need one and my outside of that my biggest problem is he sits there and goes you know I'm worried about the players mental and physical health now Nick you can speak to this a little bit more than than the rest of us I would hold more weight if a player came out, like if Jalen Johnson came out and said, Hey, like, yeah, it's tough. Like I am struggling, you know, with, with, uh, uh, no, you know, no interaction really with, you know, no, you can't get together and party. You can't get, get together and go to dinner. It's, it's very limited. And yeah, I agree. There are some problems there, but Brad Underwood came out and was like, no, like our players are having a great time. They, they want to keep playing. Um, and even like the going home for the holidays, I think that's a little overvalued where, you go home for the holidays for what, 48 hours you typically because there's practice on the 27th or a game on the 27th. So does it really matter if they're home from on the, on, on the 25th, like the big tens playing what four Christmas day games. Does it really matter if they're playing on the 25th or they're playing on the 27th, they're home for two days tops. That's my problem is we have yet to hear a player come out and say, you know, Hey, I'm battling mental, you know, mental health problems. I'm, I'm battling you know, physical problems. I agree that we need to shut down. I, there hasn't been one player across the country to say that um, barring Patrick Sir from UT Martin, who's or, yeah. Patrick, whose father passed away. And that's obviously a one completely end of the spectrum circumstance. And he's still like maybe playing this year. He, he's looking at potentially playing the second semester. So that's my biggest problem with it is don't put words in the player's mouths unless they're like actually saying it. and now Nick I'll, I'll, you can again you can speak better that than, than the rest of us to me like it's also better for these guys to kind of be around each other because who knows what happens when they go home right like you don't have the tutors you don't have the um kind of like sense of structure of wake up go to practice this is my schedule when I'm on campus first at home where it's kind of a okay yeah I need to get my training in I need to get my shots in but I'm going to go hang out with my hometown friends. I'm going to go do this with my family. And I think that if you go home for six weeks, isn't the answer. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree. I think that um, when, I, when I was talking to guys, especially before the season, I think uh, more guys before the season were worried about playing. Now that the season has started, I think everybody's kind of cool with playing. But I know before the season, I had a lot of guys, we were all working out in the gym together, and everybody was kind of like, yo, like, what are we doing here? Like, this is kind of nuts. Right. Also, I think that this is also a good time of the year to like play 
um, because there's no students on campus right now. Exactly. So like, it is just the guys. I it's, think, it's a fake bubble. Right. So when the I think when January hits, January and February, that's going to be a big test to see how much guys are going to want to play because everybody's going to be back on campus. And, and like, you're in the middle of conference draw. And, right, and like, what is like, you know, Illinois, there's nothing they can do after a big win against Duke. Right yeah. Now. What are they going to do after a big win against Michigan State in the middle of February? Like, right. And I think that's where that's where you'll see teams and coaches who are truly like. It's very cliche, but who truly are bonded together. Right. We'll, we'll kind of figure that out because they'll find like Josh Passner, as much as I love making fun of him, bringing in that coronavirus ball yesterday, pinata, <laughs> like weird things like that. Well, I feel like we'll play now. I don't think you need to go as Let's be honest. That's corny. Nick, could that. you ever see Chris Mooney doing something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> I think we would we would laugh about the locker if we tried. Right, <laughs> like, but like you also know, like if you're if you're playing for Georgia Tech, you know, like that's what you're getting with Fastner. Yeah. But I think like you, like you see each coach kind of do something, right? Like, you know, whether it's let's say this is a completely hypothetical, but let's say it's Shaka where it's you know warm in Austin. Hey, let's everybody come over and and hang out outside at my house for, you know, and watch a, an NBA game or a movie together. Just something that just keeps our mind off of, like, like you said, we can't celebrate with, you know, we, we can't go to the party. We can't go to the bar. We can't do this with, with everybody on campus. All right. What can we do the, the 20 of us together? And yeah, that, that's going to be tough in the middle of conference play because you hear all the time, like middle of conference play is the worst part of the college basketball season anyways, because it's just repetitiveness and you're ready to get to March and you're done playing non-conference games. But yeah, I can, I completely get the beginning of the season where players are kind of questioning, like, what is the season going to be? Because there was no real, like, there's no real summer drills. There's no real summer camp, summer practice. But like you said, now that games are going on, it feels relatively normal as weird as that is like you're still just playing a regular game no, there are no like extra that. rules with coronavirus right outside of travel and where you sit on the bench but, i also think that like no player is going to come out honestly especially like these big programs i doubt that like even if they felt like that i doubt that a player would come out and say that yeah but you'd still think like it leaks somehow right like that yeah. it's somehow it would come you know whether it's on twitter or you know somehow it would i feel like and they should. Like, I, I wish that stigma would end, especially from the mental health side of a player being kind of scared to speak up about it. Um, because, like, 100%, not just athletes, but anybody should. Like, it's, that, that stigma just needs to die across the country. But, like, that would hold more weight on a, a coach like Kay sitting there and saying, like, the main thing was the player's health. And it's like, well, have a player say something if, if, if that's truly what it is. And, you know, I just feel, and this is me playing devil's advocate in a way, but like Capel said it the day before at Pitt and they beat Northwestern last night and their players are celebrating like crazy on the floor and that comeback. It's like, they don't look like they want to stop playing. They look like they're completely cool. It's almost like winning helps. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're Duke, right, if you're losing, you're about to be unranked. Like, yeah, maybe the players do feel a little bit more down. Like, obviously, right, like that's what's right. going to happen. Like, here's the thing. Does he say that immediately after a the game against Illinois, if they're three and one or four now, probably not. Like he might bring it up in like a Wednesday press conference, but the fact that he spent minutes of that after immediately after the loss and with Kay's history of kind of being like, you know, whether it's Dylan Brooks thing, he had the guy with Virginia tech where he kind of did the same thing. He's notorious for going into like opposing locker rooms and being like, Oh, what you did to beat Duke was like, just very patronizing. 
it just like it rings hollow, even if it's true. And that's weird to say because Cade's the biggest name in the sport, but there's just got to be a better way to address that. And to, like I said, to me, at least for me, it'd be a player coming out. Um, it doesn't even have to be at like a major school. Like any player speaking out, I would pay way more attention to than a coach just kind of, especially after a loss. Like, I don't know. It just didn't, just didn't sit right. And the fact it's like the message gets lost anyways, because all everyone's going to do is make fun of you. Yeah. And, and when I say make fun of you is make fun of Kay. I mean, it's in that yeah. moment, like, so, you know, I saw Nate Oates today, blasted him, which, good for Nate Oates. Like, Nate Oates, Nate Oates does not give a shit. I mean, if you remember when they beat Arizona the year after on senior night, he roasted DeAndre Ayton, like, as part of a speech. Like, he will speak his mind. And I kind of, like, I love that. I wish more coaches would do that and, like, truly speak their mind. He was like, you know, do the, does Kay say that if they lost two games at home? And that's just, like, kind of echoes the sentiment that we're all saying it's I don't know like to me until I hear different from players it doesn't feel like a you know let's just say it's an arbitrary six-week delay it's the right decision it doesn't feel like the smart decision either yeah so speaking of speaking of blue blood coaches uh making headlines with these quotes obviously you know like we said you're a Kentucky guy coach Cal before the before the Richmond game we all saw the press conferences and was going around the whole like if I think about Richmond, I'm going to have my, my hand, my foot, and my head on the panic button, all that stuff. And and we all kind of saw, you know, when he's talking about the scheduling too, right? Like the whole, like, I should have yep. been tested for drugs quote and stuff like that. And I, and I think at the time we all knew there was truth to it because we expected them to struggle as a young team. But I don't think anyone necessarily saw it being this bad. Um, I was just wondering, like, what your reactions were at the time because I kind of saw it as I thought he was just basically trying to, like, motivate a young team and being like, okay, you know, maybe we're not 10, but, like, I'm just trying to get these guys going. We know we're not like really this bad. It turns out they're really struggling. So I don't know yeah. what your reactions were to those. I mean, it's Pete Calipari. Like that's what he does. Um, that quote is exactly because the scheduling, like within the Kentucky fan base is a big kind of like, but it's a very polarizing argument because fans that, especially fans that have season tickets are kind of pissed at, like they haven't booked a big time home opponent. Like he always just plays everything neutral as a fan, I want him to play everything neutral because that's where the conference tournament is. That's where the NCAA tournament is like playing home and road games does kind of nothing. So I get the draw of it. I get that's the appeal of college basketball, but like I'm a fan who wants to see my team win. I'd rather them play on a neutral court because that's what matters. And at, at the end, but it's Pete Calipari. Um, it's him. Getting ahead of the story, like he again, I think he knew the team wasn't what a lot of people thought they would be coming into the year. Um, I said it from the get go, like Richmond was the worst matchup for them this early on with the, the Princeton esque style offense that Richmond runs, Gilliard being that just way too good on ball defensively with those hands. That's the worst, like, Richmond was one of the worst-case scenarios for – and the fact that Richmond's experienced. Like, everybody's an upperclassman. And the fact that they've been decent now for the last two years, like, one of the worst-case scenarios. I thought Kansas was honestly a better matchup than Richmond. It's, it's, and I know that kind of sounds weird, but the fact that Kansas wants to play more up-tempo, just kind of their style of play, they're turning over, trying to figure out who they are with their, with their roster – 
I thought that was a, a better matchup. Um, yeah, you know, part of it's motivation, part of it's Calipari, just being Calipari where, you know, he'll take away he'll take away the talk of like his team by saying something like that. So it's immediately like, oh, let's talk about this quote and not the fact that I keep playing Olivier Sar and Isaiah Jackson together when I should be playing one of them at a time and playing four guards or four wings. So Terrence Clark and BJ Boston have more room. But I don't know. We'll see. Like these next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting for Kentucky. Like you have Notre Dame, you have UCLA, you have Louisville. Then you get in the conference play. You have Texas coming up in a month. Um, hopefully getting Keon Brooks back from injury. This week was like his notorious camp cow that he has every week or every year. But from the time being like, yeah, I, you know, I thought it was just Calipari, just Pete Calipari. And also he know like he knows what's going on in the fan base where, scheduling has been a, a polarizing topic so he, he will poke fun at the one portion of the fan base by saying something like that that's all i thought it really was um you know without doing too much of, of anything else yeah so look when you look at this richmond team obviously you know i think they you know they had the most votes in the top 25 preseason of any a10 team obviously weren't in the preseason poll mm-hmm. but they were they were right there so they were like already close and it's the kentucky win that obviously pushed them into the top 25. We've all seen how, you know, that win probably doesn't look as good now as it did before, but they're still in the top 25 because like we said, they're already there on the border. But that also means, right, that if you take another, if you take a bad loss or you don't get any more good wins, it's like maybe you don't really have much of a resume boost. So the line's kind of thin there. Seeing what's happened with Kentucky, and I know I saw you're watching the, the Wofford game on Monday. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game last night. You know, do you see this? Is is this Richmond team a legitimate, you know, a top 20, top 15 team? Is the jury still kind of out yet because they had the whole COVID pause and it's early? Where where do you see this team lining up nationally? I mean, I thought Richmond was a top 25 team coming into the year. Um, you know, I – when you return that sort of experience, and and I, I know then like when, when Nick's injury happened, a lot of people kind of were, were hesitant on are they top 20, are they top 40? you know, where do they kind of line in there? But what they've been able to do both from a defensive and an offensive standpoint, right? Like they're getting balanced scoring. They're not just relying on one person. They're playing up tempo, but it's based on their defense, which you don't see too often, right? Like typically when you see that sort of tempo offensively, it's a team like the old Shaka VCU Havoc days where they are just so reliant on turnovers to play that fast tempo offense because in a half court, they don't really have it. Well, Richmond runs that, like I said, kind of that Princeton-esque uh, motion offense where like they can, like, to me, Richmond can play any sort of game. If you want to play up tempo, they can do that. If they want, if you want to try to slow them down, they can do that. Um, I think they're, I, I think they're deep enough. And I, I do think depth is a little overvalued in college basketball. Like you don't need to be 10 deep. Like that's not like you need a solid seven, eight. Like that's, that's what I look for. When I say depth, that's what I mean. If you have two to three guys off the bench that could play starters minutes if there's foul trouble, injuries, whatever, and you're not really missing a beat. Once you start talking about guys nine, 10, like you're doing a little too much, like that's not best case scenario. Um, I think they're still a, a top 20 team. Like I, I think the Kentucky win will end up looking fine. Like it's going to be up and down all year. It's going to look like a stock price kind of all year where – Right now, like, it's as low as it'll get. But let's say Kentucky beats their next three opponents, Notre Dame, UCLA, Louisville. Well, guess what? That win now looks really damn good again. 
let's say like let's say they go one and two, but win the SEC. That win still looks good. So it's going to be like you know like a long hold on this this win. But the A10 has looked pretty good in the off in the non conference, right? Like there are quality wins that the A10 has had, and I think that's going to hold weight too when conference play happens, where um, you know it's not like Gonzaga of old WCC where you know, in order, like in order for them to get a one seed, they had to run the table. Richmond should have no problem barring some sort of massive setback or something crazy happening of being an NCAA tournament team with a decent seed because the A-10 is kind of elevated this year. Now, St. Bonaventure is finally getting to play again. They're a team that that's in that, you know, first tier of A-10 teams, I think. Um, Dayton, you know, I know they lost SMU at the buzzer, but I think they'll kind of figure it out in, in life after topping. Um, Rhode Island is good luck figuring out Rhode Island. That's all I'll say, because some games they look like they can compete with anybody. And then some games like that Wisconsin game yesterday, where, I mean, I didn't think they're going to score 40 points. So VCU is another team. I think VCU is, is a little underrated this year. Um, I really like, uh, Bones Island, their, their point guard. I think that the development of the A-10 is what's really helping Richmond more than the win against Kentucky. Now, the win against Kentucky might bump you up a seed line, assuming Kentucky figures stuff out as the season goes on, you know, from a five to a four or whatever, and that matters a little bit. But then at the same time, it doesn't matter because who knows with the committee when they have to start doing, you know, all the rules of, okay, you can't play an opponent, you know, three, you know, they put the top three from the conference in different regions or whatever. Um but I, I, you know, I, I'm completely buying this Richmond team as a top 20 team. Mm-hmm. And now, so how do you look at it? Because, you know, us who've been following this team for, you know, three years or so, and, you know, we've always been big on Gilly being like, you know, this guy doesn't get national respect just because he's yeah. short. Like we've all like, you know, people saw that the, the Kentucky play, right? The behind the back flicks it up and everyone goes nuts sports center. Yeah. We were like, we saw him do that like five times last year, but it's because no one else saw it. So when you look at it, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've you know watched them a little bit last year, but as someone who's not on this team for three straight years on the beat, you know, when you look at a guy like that, how do you look at him nationally, whether it's as a top five defensive guard, is he a, a top 10, top five point guard nationally? How do you see a player like that across, you know, the best of the best? Yeah, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. I, you know, I think he is one of the five, like off the top of my head, one of the five best defenders in the country, you know, Marcus Garrett, Mark Vital, uh, and the Big 12 from Kansas and Baylor. You know, I think those are the best just based on their versatility and everything, but it's not like there's a drop-off from them two to, to, to Gilliard. Like, he is that good, and his hands are that fast. You know, that play he made at the end of the Wofford game where I forget what guy had it from Wofford on that offensive rebound the last right – after, right after Gilliard hit that step-back three to kind of seal the game, he then stripped him state of bounds. And, and that play to me was like more impressive than the step back three, because a, to do that without a foul, to stay in bounds and to ice the game like that. Like, there are, there are a bunch of people that can make a step back three. There are a handful of people that can make that defensive play. And that's what I think makes him one of the, I don't know, like you said, maybe 10 best point guards in the country. Um, you know, part then it gets into the whole, well, is it system, is it player, whatever. To me, like, the player and the system go hand in hand, and, and he kind of fits Richmond, Richmond's system perfectly, and Richmond's system fits him perfectly. But that play, like, that that defensive play is one of those, like, I will remember for the entire season. And 
like when I watch Richmond and I've watched the Kentucky game, the Wofford game, I did not get to watch last night's game. So I've watched two of their games uh, live. Like what he's able to do and how he disrupts offense is to me more impressive than what a lot of guys can do offensively. And, and I think that matters so much. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody during the Kansas Creighton game and to me, it was like, well, it's completely off because Creighton seventh best free throw shooting team in the country shoots below 50% from the line. That's a massive aberration. They're like, well, Oche, uh, Abaji 16 point score held to zero. I was like, well, yeah, like that's an aberration, but you can, you can build something to disrupt an offense and take somebody out of an offensive game plan. That's to me what Gilliard can do. And that's more valuable than, I don't know, all but like two to three things across the board. So that's why I think, yeah, I would, I would agree. He's one of the five best defensive players in the country. Gets at least one of the five best defensive guards. It gets difficult when you start talking about, you know, big men who can protect the rim versus, versus on-ball defenders. And, yeah, I would agree. He's probably one of the ten best point guards in the country. Uh, Nick, I'd love to hear more from you about this. Obviously, as a guy that's you know was in the system for four years, but and like you like you touched on Reeves is that you know the system fits him and he fits the system, right? But that I think everyone would agree, like he defensively would translate to any team. In that, I think yeah. the beauty of what he does is that he is one of the guys, right? Like we've seen this Nick with some of Tyler's struggles early, is having trouble with some of the system and trying to you know think like Gilly just anticipates things, right? The beauty of Gilly is like you can trust him to come out of the system. Like you can trust him to leave his man to leave an assignment because he knows like who's open. He knows who his support is. And I think that's what makes him special. I don't know what, what you've seen from that, Nick, but just that being a guy that you guys are like, we have our system, but we're Gilly does what Gilly wants to do. And, and we know it's going to work. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, a lot of people talk about the on-ball defense for me, what makes Gilly's defense impressive is off ball. I think that most of his steals come from off the ball coming from help. Yeah. Um, coming from the backside, uh, you saw a couple of times last night, they throw into the post and he sneaks around and steal it um, against Kentucky. They threw it to the elbow to Sar. I think one time. That's, they yep. time I think I saw like twice on that. He got Sar at least twice. All of us. He's good at the big guy coming up to run the high low and just poking it from behind. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what makes him special is just like his instincts. Like we, like we talked about his instincts and just his ability to find the ball. I think that very rarely do you see a guard that small that's able to steal the ball from all different angles. Like obviously any guard like that can, can steal a crossover dribble or something like that. But the fact that he can go, like, they threw a cross-court pass yesterday. He stole it. He's done that millions of times. Uh, things like that. So I think that, like, his ability to really, like, even when we were in the matchup, like, his ability to, to cover people's tracks defensively, kind of like a, you know, like a great cornerback. You know, people can get beat deep or a great yeah. safety. They get beat deep and he can cover it. I think that's what makes him so special is that a lot of times he's not necessarily taking the best defensive assignment, even though he can do that. But he's, he's so much more valuable off the ball and help and stuff that that's what makes him a super special defender. If, if an, if an opposing scouting report is worried about where you are defensively, that's a sign of how, like how great you are defensively. And when you talk to coaches, like, they're like, yeah, they say that like, yeah, like we have to make, we have to be aware of who he's guarding so we can try to plan what to do. And it's planning on the fly mostly, because like you said, they'll sit there and they're like, okay, he's going to guard player X because that's, what would seem to make sense, but he's actually guarding player Y and it's not a one-time thing. Like he's on in the first four minutes of the game. And it's like, well, shit, we are, now we got to, you know, instead of running our five out offense, we got to run a, you know, inverted high low or something like that to try to draw him away. And when you can disrupt something like that, it, it's a complete game changer. It's a truly a complete game changer. Cause there are only 
like I said, like, it just goes back to the three versus steel. Like there are only so many great defensive players in the country, especially from a guard standpoint versus like there are always going to be really good offensive players. So I think there's one more one more Richmond specific thing I want to get to with you before that I want to jump into West Virginia a little bit because obviously they play them on Sunday. I want to get that preview. How familiar are you with Matt Grace of Richmond? I'm not that familiar. Okay. So you you know Grant Golden though, right? The center? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean he's so been in college for 25 years. If you're not like Grant Golden is on my house. Richmond's Perryellis. Yeah. Like he's been there since Robbie Hummel was at Purdue. <laughs> I think yeah, I think I think Grant came to Richmond like when I was born, honestly. Um, and he's looked the exact same like from the entire time. Like Grant Golden, mm-hmm. like his freshman picture to this picture this year, like they might as well just use the same thing. So I'm glad you touched on that because this is what I want to do. So Matt Grace is their backup center. I think Nick Matt Matt is six ten, right? I don't think he's he's six nine. I think he's a six ten guy. So no. same height as Grant. You know, he's a little bit skinnier, but they both play almost the exact same. Other than that, Matt can stretch the floor a little bit better. They're both really good passing guys out of the, you know, the high post. They, they play almost the identical game. Okay. And what's even crazier is, I mean, the look. Like, you, I, I just want to show you what these guys look like. It is just hilarious, the, the hairstyle they both go with and that they play the same game. All right, let's see here. Um, all right, can you all see my screen okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first up, obviously you've seen what Grant looks like, right? Yep. So we've got that. Like that's yeah, not a I mean, great look, but he's got the long cousins. hair. They're cousins. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, like Nick, like Nick, what do you guys talk about in the locker room when you hear like, like, because like, Matt did not look like that freshman year. Like, what, did he intentionally do that to look like Grant, or is that just the look he's going with? No, it happened over quarantine. Like we, we like we had, we had a Zoom or something. Like he had shorter hair, and then we had a Zoom, and the next thing you know, he has this long hair. I think Coach Mooney said something about it first, and we were all just like, yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> all I know is Richmond might have my favorite nickname in college basketball this year. Gustavson just going like he needs to be called the Goose at all times. Like they said that during the broadcast on the Wofford game, and I was like, if you're because he's lanky as hell too. If you're a lanky like wing, and your nickname's the Goose. Like you're all like you should be a first round pick no matter what. Mm. Nick, who who have the best like nicknames on the team? Uh, probably Goose is probably the best one. Uh, I can't. Uh, we call it like Gills. Like we call him Gill Pill, but that's kind of lame, honestly. Um, I'm not really sure. We really don't. We really don't have a lot of nicknames on the team. Surprisingly, Nick Nicky Flash. No, no, nobody calls me that. <laughs> Just Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, so I, w- I do want to jump into West Virginia because that's obviously the uh, biggest matchup of the year yeah. for for probably both of these teams so so far. No, I guess Gonzaga would have been. For, yeah, I would say Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah. For West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think Gonzaga is a little bit tougher. Um, but so obviously you know they're number five actually on Ken Palm, and it, mm-hmm. you know you got to treat Ken Palm with a grain of salt this early in the season. Um, but I th- the biggest thing that stands out, Nick, you know, like the criticism and the knock on Richmond right in the years past is the rebounding, getting killed on the offensive glass. I think we saw Wofford do a little bit of damage with the second chance opportunities. And, you know, you've got, you know, Derek Culver and I'm going to butcher his last name, but Oscar Tish, I'm not even going to try to say it, but they got Shibway. the two twin towers down there on. Yeah. How do you say it? Shibway. Shibway. We just, okay. I, just, I just started calling him Big Oscar Tate because I don't think I'll pronounce his Big last up. name yet. So you got those two guys. They're each getting over three offensive rebounds a game. Again, this team's 12th in the country um, on the offensive glass. And Richmond's a team that really struggles with that. 
you know, we Grant's improved on the glass and Tyler's a huge addition, but you know, how do you see that battle going down low in the post and, and trying to prevent those second chance points? Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth noting that West Virginia is going to kill everybody on the offensive glass. Like, that was a concern even against Gonzaga, right? Like, could, mm-hmm. could Kispert, you know, if, if like Gonzaga's best lineup was Kispert at the four and before Suggs got hurt, Kispert at the four, Timmy at the five, um, and then IIE, Nebhard, or not yet, yeah, Nebhard and um, Suggs, you know, could Kispert block out one of the two guys? And so West Virginia is, and I, the reason I say this is because Gonzaga, it's a consensus top two team in the country. So West Virginia is going to kill everybody on the offensive glass. To me, it's more like Shibway gets in a lot of foul trouble. If you can get him some early fouls, that kind of changes who West Virginia is, then opens up the floor a little bit more for what, for Richmond. That to me, again, that's the biggest thing. And I, you know, I think you can because of the motion offense and the, com- the complexity of it, where, you know, he can't just stand at the rim, right? Because Golden cannot you know, step out, hit 15-footers with ease. He, he has to step out and guard somebody. Um, now, the one thing I will say I'm impressed by West Virginia is their guard play this year. I was I was hesitant to fully buy into West Virginia coming into this year because their guards just could not shoot the ball last year. And Miles McBride has been awesome this year. He's one of the more underrated players in the country, I think, so far this year. Um but I think Richmond's defense can disrupt them. Like, again, it goes back to what we said with Gilliard, but also, like, the experience. Like, one guy we haven't talked about this entire podcast is Blake Francis. He's another guy who you can kind of rely on in this sort of game where it's not press Virginia. Like, they're not throwing havoc like they did with Javon Carter and uh, – uh, what's his name? Uh, Dexter. Yeah. And I couldn't – and it's different now, right? Like, they're playing more three-quarter court, half court. They're not as reliant on turnovers – but they're still play that like they play a sort of defense that dares refs to call fouls. Like they will hack the hell out of you. They will push you. They will check you. They'll chuck you coming through the lane. They dare ref to call fouls on every possession. And they, and they do that because what ref is calling a foul on every possession. Um, they'll take the 14 fouls a half for the 40 possessions. Um, and I think that's where experienced guards really pay off. Because it's easy to rattle younger guards in a physical game, especially if, if calls aren't happening, where all of a sudden you're like, all right, what the hell do I have to do to get a call? You get frustrated. Then you start getting out of control. And that's when West Virginia thrives. Uh, press Virginia or this newer version of, of, of not playing that press. I, you know, I, I do like West Virginia a lot. I do like Richmond a lot. It's just such a different style from both teams that – you know, I'm curious to see, you know, I'd be curious to see what the line opens up at um, and kind of how that moves and how people are viewing it. You know, I, you know, it's not a hot take to say, I would say West Virginia probably wins this game, but the way Richmond has been playing and the fact that again, they can spread you out offensively and, and force these big guys, Culver and, and Oscar to, to guard somebody like Richmond hits a couple shots early you make West Virginia play from behind. That's how you win this game. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's Austin, very cliche, but that's, that's how, that's what has to happen. Austin, what's your concern with, cause I think, you know, like you said, right? Like they're going to be super physical and you, you can't hope to beat them on the offensive glass. Like you've got to beat them in all the other parts, but like, you know, it's going to happen. And I think 
one thing, particularly with Tyler and where that's a young guy, right. Who it's, you know, easier to mentally get out of it versus your four other seniors in the starting lineup. And we saw him get, you know, three fouls last night, probably could have more is that especially on the offensive rebounds or maybe a guy gets, uh, gets a step on him going, he, he just gives these careless fouls sometimes from behind, you know, with those big physical guys, like do you see him potentially getting in foul trouble? Um, I do. Again, like you said, he's the young guy. But last night, you know, his big breakout game. I can see him. I've said this. I think he's too athletic for his own good to the point, like watching him run down the court. He's almost too long and able to stretch so much. He can't really control himself in a situation down low. It might leave his feet, you know, to get all the way up above the rim because he's that athletic. Um, but no, a key for him is not to have a Sal type of game and foul immediately. Sal last night, though, had much better game than he had years past. But, yeah, no, foul trouble is going to be big. Um, but a real concern of mine is, you know, we talked about Grant Golden. We talked about his look. You know, he kind of looks like a Mountaineer. Should we be worried about Huggins trying to steal him pregame, you know, put a West Virginia jersey on? I mean, there's a chance. But Huggins has also, like, gone up against Brady Manick for the last four years. And <laughs> if he's not stealing Brady Manick, I don't think you have to worry too much about Golden yet. <laughs> Um, so like we said, you know, obviously the big guys down low are a problem and it's not press Virginia, but it's still an excellent defensive team. I don't care how much Huggy Bear complains yeah. about it. And I know he has, they're a good defensive team. And the biggest thing is, I mean, they're holding opposing teams to less than 30% from deep. And we've shown, you know, Richmond's shown an ability to not be reliant on the three ball, but you know, part of the reason that I think, you know, Kentucky, right. Where they were down at, at, at halftime and, it, it was that they were just missing a lot of open looks from three. Right. And you yeah. start getting them to go in the second half. And it's like, all right, you get your thing, you get rolling and you catch up. But again, you know, this is West Virginia. Like you can't do that because they will blow the lid off a lot faster, you know, to a degree, at- but also look at who they've played, right? Like outside of Gonzaga, they haven't played a great offensive team. Mm. Like VCU is not an offensive, like a great offensive team. South hey, no Georgetown State. slander on this podcast, sir. Georgetown. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then Western Kentucky, like Western Kentucky is a decent offensive team, but that's just a completely different look with Charles Bassey in the post. So mm-hmm. this is a unique matchup for West Virginia too. It's not like, you know, Gonzaga maybe to a degree with, but Gonzaga's guards are just so big. Like Suggs is just a monster. And, and even like Nebhardt is what, 6'3". Like they're just, and I, I, he is, you know, his arms just, he's got to have a seven foot wingspan. Like they're just, that that's a whole different beast, but. My point more is they've held opponents at 30% shooting. They haven't played a great shooting team. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, and, and part of that shooting, right, is obviously working something Huggy Bears talked a lot about was working over under the ball screens. And I think against yeah. Georgetown, you saw them go under the ball screens a lot. And at times more so early in the game, they kind of made them pay for it. And, and Richmond's a team that, I mean, that's what they do, right? It's the dribble handoffs, the, the quick right. ball screens, and they just step out and pop it, right? Do you think do you, do you see them hedging hard and really trying to step over? Or do you think they're going to stay with that and and go under and make Richmond shoot? I think you have to start by going under. Like it just, and that's more my coaching philosophy is let me see you shoot, let me make see you make shots before I overcompensate. Mm-hmm. Um, because how many times you see a team get like four decent looks, miss four open st- shots, and then it immediately gets to their head, right? Like, oh no, like should I take this? Like, am I cold today? Or do I start pressing more? I would just stick with that, um, you know, maybe a little more like side hedge and and not a true ice, but like kind of more of a side hedge and, and 
contested a little bit more without giving up that, that dribble drive. But I am firmly in the coaching philosophy of let me see you make shots before I overcompensate. Like let, let's run the defense that we're used to running because we're good at it. In fact, great at it. Let me see that. Let me see you make shots because you're still talking about college kids, right? Like college kids can panic in a way. And, and it's not, a sl- obviously you're talking about the top end talent and, you know, division one athletes, but talk about 18 to 23 year old kids where again, they miss a couple open shots. Some guys pucker up in that moment. And that's, and Huggins, has been around long enough to where I think he knows that's a true statement and he'll force that hand and then adjust because they still can force turnovers. They still can do that. Like you can still trust your defense, but yeah, I would, I would force Richmond to hit a couple shots early. Um, but, but again, that's just my coaching philosophy. Gotcha. So last thing before we wrap it up here, a big topic that that we discussed this year has been I don't know if you've seen Chris Mooney's mask that he's been wearing, but he wears the like the clear mask. The Some clear. people made that they've made references to like looking like Hannibal and stuff. And you know, we saw like I like in Kentucky, people couldn't stop talking about like that Richmond game. Like Cal could not like yep. I, th- I think I don't know if he was angrier at his guys or if he was angry at his mask. I can't I, it's Huggy Bear doesn't strike me as much of a different guy. So what are you more intrigued by in this game? Observing the Hannibal mask that Chris is gonna wear? or seeing if Huggy Bear leaves his mask on more than 20% of the time? I'll say I'd be pissed if I was a Richmond player and Mooney had that mask because you're the only team in the country that has to see how pissed off your coach is at you. Like, every other, like, player in the country, it's like you look over and it's like they're, like, fidgeting with their mask trying to yell at you. You, you can just quickly look back before you get before you can be like, all right, I'm in trouble. Um, I want Huggy to go full Andy Reid, go tracksuit, Go like that giant freezer head head cover. The shield. Yeah, just because Huggy's the best. And like he just looks so outrageous and just doesn't care. <laughs> I love him. I you know, I'm such a fan of hugs that I want him to look as outrageous as possible. Yeah. So I don't go tracksuit. Like again, I want week one Andy Reid though too. I want it to fog mm. up and have like have a manager be a guy to like have to like rub it down. Yeah. Like, I was gonna say, like, I feel like Huggy I want him would be to the- alternate mass. Huggy would be the guy that would wear the face shield, but he would just like be so unconscious of it that he's going to like forget he has it up. and He's going to be like whacking it into managers and fogging it up. Like it would it's just be like, a brilliant sight. Obviously we're going on like a year of coronavirus and, and wearing a mask is starting to get like normal, but I can't imagine being a coach trying to get your point across mm. with this mask on. Like I, I just, I, I get that it's all safety and everything. And then I'm obviously all for that. I just can't imagine like as a coach trying to be like getting like inspiring a team or getting into someone's head, like face and being like, Oh, hold on a second. Let me put this back up. And like, yeah, as a player, I would laugh, but that's also just, I got a little asshole on me. So I would just, I would be laughing at like my coach trying to yell at me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's pretty much uh, it from us. Riggs. We appreciate you hopping on here. We always love a little, a little coach K bashing in, in Richmond hype. So we're, all, we're always here for that, man. Um, thank you. Be no safe. Problem, uh, hope you enjoy the game on Sunday. I know you've got plenty of, plenty of stuff to watch in between. Uh, and uh, good luck covering the, uh, the league the rest of the way. Thanks, man. Have a good one, guys. You thank too. You.
Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Spider Scoop Podcast, part of the ESPN Richmond and Believe Podcast Network families. Big thanks to our guest, uh, Bobby Regan. You can follow him on Twitter at Barstool Regs. He covers all of college basketball for Barstool, does some NBA, pop culture, jack of all trades, guys churning out awesome blogs. So go check him out. Um, if you guys like what you're hearing, uh, please make sure to give us a you know, a follow, a subscribe on whether it's Spotify or, or Apple, wherever you're listening. If you're on Apple, we'd really love a five-star review. Those ratings really help boost the show and, and get it promoted on that platform. So we greatly appreciate that. Um, as always, you can follow me and Austin on Twitter at Noah Goldberg 10 and at AustinDaisy11. Also catch me on Instagram under that same handle for more exclusive spider basketball content. With that being said, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you all after West Virginia on Sunday. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.